Hello, everybody, and good morning, and welcome to the Bat Around. I'm Paul Valley, and joining me, as always, is Basilios Nicolau. And, you know, today we're starting to show off on a bit of a somber note. And as I turn this music down a little bit here, we lost Mo Gabba on Tuesday night. And I've been trying to think of a way to pay tribute to Mo. And the best way I can think of to pay tribute to Mo is just to talk about him. We're just going to talk about him today. We're going to talk about him with, with our guests coming up on the show. And we're just going to remember who Mo was and what he brought to this city. And if you are unfamiliar with the story of Mo Gabba, uh, diagnosed with cancer when he was nine months old, lost both of his eyes in infancy, and, ba- and battled cancer at four different times in his life. Uh, the final battle ultimately taking his life this past Tuesday night. Um, Mo got the prognosis about five to six weeks ago that he only had about 10 to 12 weeks to live. And um, it, it only got worse from there. And it was about half that, that length. And it, it touched all of Baltimore. It touched all of Baltimore. It touched people across the country. People across the country are very familiar with the Mo Gabba story, and it's just one of those things where it's absolutely heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. If you've ever spoken to, to the kid, and if you didn't speak to him, I only had the opportunity to talk to him one time, uh, and that was on the phone on this show just to get him on the line. And his people talk about his laughter being infectious, and for me, yeah, the laughter was infectious, but the personality, the fight, the determination, never feeling sorry for himself, staring cancer in the face and battling it to the, to the bitter end. Uh, this kid is just, was just such an inspiration to me and to everybody else. And th- this is somebody who he never knew a life without battling cancer. He just never did. And... Yet he never felt bad for himself. He never asked why me. He has had a positive outlook and lived the best life that he absolutely could. And it, it makes you look in the mirror. And it makes you question the things that are bothering you. Like who left that dish in the sink last night? You know what I mean? Or why did that person cut me off at, at that intersection? It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. When you look at somebody like Mo, who had to deal with something that, God willing, none of us will ever have to deal with. It, Our problems are, and it's not to minimize our problems, but what he went through is so much bigger than what we go through on the day-to-day. Yeah, our problems definitely pale in comparison to what Mo went through. And and you you said it best, he never never felt sorry for himself, but most of all, he never, what was that? I'm just asking you to talk into the mic a little bit. My bad, buddy. (laughs) Um, But he, he, you're right, he never felt sorry for himself and he never let anybody know what was that anything was affecting him mm-hmm. and that's that's the, the one thing like he he i've seen i've heard so many people like eric arditi and jeremy khan they would go over to his house and they'd play video games with him for hours on it and you'd never know anything was was wrong with mo because he he always was just replying to people saying no i feel great I, I feel good i'm i'm having fun i'm happy i mean you 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 would never know that that he he had a care in the world and it, i'm i'm sad i was saddened that to, to learn that he he had passed away and i was 
putting together the newscast at or the sportscast at WBAL and our our sports anchor and sports director Jerry Sandusky, he called me and and he told me he gave me the news and I scrapped the entire show because we we instead put together a really, really nice package on Mo and uh, I mean it brought tears to my eyes and I was the one that freaking made it. I can only imagine uh how how people felt watching it. But I mean it's 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 really, really sad. It definitely still makes me sad. I mean uh, and I can I only got to talk to him once, much like you did. I can only imagine how the people closest to him feel, and my heart goes out to them. And I feel, I feel with them. It's just, I it's it's terrible. Oh yeah, it's it's. it's I was driving home from I, I I play in a couple of different baseball leagues in my spare time, um, and I was driving home from one of my games on Tuesday night, and I got a text message from you, and I just glanced at it briefly. And it said, uh, we have to do something to remember Mo. And that's how I found out the Mo. I hadn't seen it at all until I got the text message from you. And then I got a text message from my stepbrother, Jared, um, talking about how we had Eric Arditi on the show and how we ran long talking about Mo. And we had said, we're not going to cut somebody off who's talking about Mo Gabba on the show. And at that point, Mo was still with us. And it was fitting that our first show was... Mo's last Saturday uh, on this earth, as, as my stepbrother said, and we had to ha- we got to have Eric on here, giving him a nice tribute, talking about this wonderful kid. But when I got the news, I pulled off onto an exit and sat in the parking ride, and c- constructed a tweet to put out. Um, read everybody else's tweet, and and I cried, you know, and 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 I'm not ashamed to admit that I cried. This is a, this is somebody that I never met. But he had that kind of an impact on on everybody. And, you know, we're we're not going to sit here and, of course, we're going to mourn the loss of Mo. But really what we ultimately want to do with this show today is we want to celebrate Mo. And that's what we're going to try and do. And we have, at 1020, we have Stan Stan the Fan Charles coming on the show. And he has some Mo stories I'm sure he's going to share with us. Uh, 1045, we're going to have John Mioli, the beat writer for the Baltimore Orioles for the Baltimore Sun. He'll be on the show at 1105. Around the 1105 ish time we're gonna have bill ladson from mlb.com joining the show with us and then jeff arnold new orioles broadcaster is going to close out the show before we do uh take to rake at the end there um and we're gonna we're, we're gonna move on to baseball right now because this is a baseball show and that's not to minimize anything with mo we're going to talk about him all day long i promise you and one of the one of the things that i mean we're moving on to baseball but this does definitely has something to do with baseball Mere mere hours before Mo passed, he was inducted into the Orioles Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Thank you for remembering that. I, I didn't forget, but I didn't remember to say it, so I appreciate that. Of course. Um, yeah, Mo inducted into the Orioles Hall of Fame. There's also rumors that there's going to be some other big things that happen for Mo in the next 24 to 48 hours. Um, I, I, I'm wondering if the Ravens are going to put him in the Ring of Honor. That would be fantastic. That would be absolutely phenomenal. Now, look, I don't make that call. Yeah. Um, it would be it would be great if they did. If they don't, that's okay. But how amazing would it be to go into that stadium every Sunday during football season or Monday or Thursday and see Mo Gabba up there in that ring of honor? That would be absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Now, the Orioles have already put them in their Hall of Fame. I know the Ravens are going to do something. 
I know they are. The, these and what what people don't realize is that these two franchises have gone above and beyond uh, for Mo Gabba. And from what I hear from the people at Press Box and the people that I know that work within the industry behind the scenes, if you ask the Orioles or the Ravens to do something for Mo, they do it no questions asked. So kudos, big ups to the Orioles and the Ravens franchises. You know, I, I have to say, and and people like to laugh at the Orioles because right now they're not a very good baseball team. Despite their 3-3 three and three record, uh, right now they're, they're not a good baseball team, but they're being run correctly. The Ravens are one of the most or one of the proudest organizations in the NFL, in all sports, really. And I I like the fact that the Orioles are, they're up and coming. They're going to get to that next tier. Once once they start winning again, you'll see the Orioles will become one of those proud franchises because they have the right people in place. Guys like uh, Mike Elias and Sig Dell and Brandon Hyde. And then I, I like that... The two sons, the uh, John and Lou Angelos, are taking a step back and letting Mike Elias basically run the team. Now, of course, he has to go back to them with stuff, but they're running this franchise correctly. And maybe you don't see it in wins and losses right now, but that's what a rebuild is. But I'm very, very proud, especially with what they've done with Mo, to have these two teams in my city. Uh, I just I can't say enough about the, about what they've done. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's. It's incredible. I, I love I love the outpouring of support whenever there's something to do with Mo. And I personally, I would love to see uh, much much like when uh, I, well, I'd rather see a patch on the Ravens jerseys uh, as well as the Ring of Honor this coming season. I would love to see something in remembrance, kind of like when when Art Modell, the the late Ravens owner, when he passed away, they put a patch on the jersey, and Mo right. arguably. Had more of an impact to to a fan base than than Art Modell did. So I say Mo is much more deserving of a patch. But I would love to see to see that, and maybe if the Orioles put one on their sleeve or something. I think I think something like that would be awesome. Absolutely. And, and look, we're not going to minimize what Art Modell Absolutely. did. What Art Modell meant to the NFL and what he meant to Baltimore football you, you can't be understated no. uh but w- what Vasilios is trying to say there is that mo is just so important yeah he's just so important to the fan base he was the heart and soul of the fan base i meant and no disrespect to art model no, and, and 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 we don't think you did i just wanted to clarify because you you, you never know yeah. you know what i mean but um i i, I do believe that we're going to see a mo patch on maybe uh, on the orioles maybe but i think you're definitely going to see one on ravens jerseys because they have the time to do it before yeah. before the season starts so anyway moving on to baseball, the Orioles, they got a 6-3 to win last night over the Tampa Bay Rays. Pedro Severino was on the back end of back-to-back homers between he and Anthony Santander off of Blake Snell, who I consider to be arguably the best pitcher in the American League. That guy is just nasty. And the Orioles went back-to-back on him in the fourth inning in a three-run in a three-run inning, uh, Rio Ruiz connected on a, on another couple of hits last night. Hanser Alberto homered for the second straight game. He had another three hits. Uh, he's batting four forty right now. He he's an absolute hitting machine. Yep. Last year was against lefties. This year it's against righties and lefties. Just doing more than the club could ask for right now. Cole Salser uh, had a bit of a a bad night. 
to say the least, two nights ago against the Yankees. Now, look, he got, he definitely got squeezed by home plate umpire Chris Sengel against Aaron Judge. It was a 2-1 pitch that caught the bottom of the zone, and he called it a ball. And then the next pitch is a 3-1 belly button high fastball that Judge hits a, a freaking mile. Yeah, and, Judge hits and, all of those a freaking Yeah, mile. and I, I tweeted out, what league does Cole think that he's in? that he thinks he can leave a 3-1 fastball to Aaron Judge where he left it and not expected to get hit out of the ballpark. Now, that's just the fan in me watching the game and getting irritated at a bat- poorly placed pitch. But the Orioles hung tooth and nail with the Yankees the other night. The first game of the series was was a laugher. Okay, they, they lost that game, I believe, 12-3. to um, But two nights ago on Thursday night, the Orioles, they should have won that game. They were up 6-5 to going into the ninth inning. Salser came in. He walked the leadoff guy, puts the next guy on base, and he goes. Then he goes after Judge, and uh, he gives up the three-run homer, and the Orioles end up losing. It's not that they lose. I've said this before, not on this show, but I've said this before. It's not that they lose. Sometimes it's how they lose, right? And when I was guesting with Glenn Clark yesterday on Glenn Clark Radio, we were talking about how this is what you expect, but it was still a heart crushing blow because you see Pedro Severino hit that two-run homer in the bottom of the eighth inning to give the Orioles the lead, and you're feeling great, and then... You're brought what, back to reality. Well, yeah, and I said this on the, on Glenn's show yesterday. It wouldn't be Orioles baseball if they didn't breathe life into you just to suck it right back out. <laughs> you're so right. I mean, it's I, I remember updating the score graphic at work and driving home... Pedro Severino goes yard, and I, I I get home just in time to watch Salser deliver that pitch right in the middle of the friggin' strike zone, and Judge just crush that thing. And I'm I'm just, as soon as I saw I, I didn't even wait for the ball to get into the stands. I picked up the remote, click. All right, I'm going to bed. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was just yeah. Well, Salser redeemed himself. Last night, came in, got two strikeouts and a three-up, three-down save uh, for the Orioles. They win that game 6-3. to three. Uh, Santander also contributed three hits, a home run, uh, three RBIs for the ball club last night. And I'm looking at this team, and we talked last week about Sam Miller for ESPN, who said the Orioles will be probably won't even win 10 games. Well, they're 30% of the way there through mm-hmm. the first week of the season. You know, and... Uh, since we last talked, they took the, they got embarrassed on opening day. There's there's no getting around it. But we talked with Stan, and he said that the Orioles had the favorable pitching matchup on both Saturday and Sunday. And what did the Orioles do? They came out and they won both of those games. They beat the Red Sox uh, in the, each of the last two games of that series. Solster getting that save that two inning save on Sunday, and then and we're going to talk about this during the show. The the Marlins with the whole eighteen players and two coaches testing positive for for uh, for covid um they had four players that had already tested positive before sunday's game and in the team text message they said we're gonna play anyway major league baseball should have stopped them from playing that game because now the marlins aren't playing the phillies aren't playing because they had a couple positives the st louis cardinals st louis cardinals and the brewers aren't playing because the cardinals had a couple of positives now you don't know that St. Louis and Miami had anything to do with each other. Yeah. But at least with the Cardinals, when they tested positive, Major League Baseball stepped in and said, okay, this series is canceled. Okay? But now the Nationals don't have an opponent. 
this weekend. The Orioles had to scramble, and they were supposed to play on Monday and Tuesday in Miami. They were supposed to play in Baltimore against Miami on Wednesday and Thursday. Instead, the Yankees had to come down to Baltimore from Philadelphia, where they were supposed to play, and that series got canceled. And these these teams were supposed to play Monday and Tuesday. They were both off. Yep. Now, I had posed that the Orioles and the Yankees should play um, a three-game series and then flip-flop next week when they're supposed to have their three-game series. Blah, blah, blah. If you follow me on Twitter, you saw what I put out there. I was being super annoying, constantly posting and retweeting this thing because I thought it was the right thing to do. Baseball ultimately ended up doing that. We don't know what's going to happen with the schedule next week uh, because the Phillies were supposed to play this weekend, but they had another positive test, so they canceled the entire series this weekend with Toronto. And that, that's another team, Toronto, that doesn't have an opponent. This weekend. So, the Marlins really kind of screwed the pooch here. Did you mean Buffalo? Buffalo. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you had me thinking I made a mistake for a second there. I forgot that they're <laughs> playing in Buffalo. But, um, yeah, the, the, the Blue Jays don't have an opponent. The Marlins really screwed the pooch here. They kind of yeah. ruined it for everybody else. There's always one, right? There's always one that ruins it for everybody else. Damn you, Jeter. So, it's just, it's just one of those things where... Major League Baseball should have stepped in last Sunday to avoid all of this. They should have had a, a plan in place once they realized after Sunday night. They should have had a plan in place by Monday afternoon, not Tuesday morning or yeah. Tuesday afternoon. Um, and so basically how that impacted the Orioles is that they only played they've only played three games this week. Yeah. you know and since we were last on the show, they've played five games. they're three and two. and Vasilius, they're playing. They're playing better baseball right now than I think anybody would have expected. The bullpen has been not great. Inconsistent. They're, they've been inconsistent. Their their best piece, in my opinion, right now has been Richard Blyer. And guess what? They just traded him to the Miami Marlins for a player to be named later. Is is it, I'm wondering if that player to be named later is pending a negative test for COVID-19. Well, I'm I'm sure that the Orioles aren't going to want to have somebody who has COVID, but that also might be why it's a player to be named later. That's what I'm saying, yeah. You know, so th- that's yes, pro- <laughs> probably, probably. We're going to talk with uh, Stan Charles about that and more here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, John Mioli is going to be joining the show, and he's going to talk about. We're going to ask him about the Richard Blyer trade, what the corresponding ro- roster move is going to be, and then maybe it's about that time for Ryan Mountcastle. It's been eight days since the season started. Yeah. It's about that time for Ryan Mountcastle. Are we going to see him this weekend? Are we going to see him starting in the next series next week, whatever series that may be? Because the Orioles are supposed to play the Yankees on Monday, but that's not happening. Yeah. So we don't even know what the we don't even know who the Orioles are playing on Monday. You know what I mean? So we got to get that all figured out. I'm going to get stand on the line. Vasilius is going to talk to you a little bit about some Orioles baseball here while I do that. Yeah, I'm one of the, one of the things, and I know we we said that the Orioles are playing better than we expected, and I'm looking at guys like Rio Ruiz who had a fantastic week. I'm looking at guys like Hanser Alberto had a fantastic week. Uh, Anthony Santander, fantastic week. These these are relatively young guys. These are guys that they could stick out the rebuild if if maybe management wanted them to if they're not going to be trade pieces maybe they'll stick around be mentors to the younger guys i mean santander can can hit he can he can put the ball into the stands 
Alberto can he looks like he's going to be a 300 hitter for uh, for righties and lefties. I mean, he hit a, he like Paul said he hit a home run last night and and of course Rio Ruiz, he looks like and I heard a lot of discussion about this in a regular 162 game season could Rio Ruiz be a a 30 home run guy and I mean like he he looks like he's got a lot of pop in the back as compared compared to last year. Well, and we talked about that last week Rio yeah. Ruiz is one of those guys that I'm really excited about and we have Stan on the line he's going to talk to us about that in just a second he said that he that hopefully his one two three throw has gotten a lot better on defense I think his defense has been okay yeah uh, to, to start the year there's some balls that I feel like he should have gotten to that maybe he hasn't but the bat you want to see the average a little bit more it seems like every hits a home run right now but hey mm-hmm. I'll take that. If if every hit that Chris Davis got was a home run, I think we'd be happy that we're paying him twenty three million a year. Yeah, you know. And with <laughs> that in mind, we do have Stan Charles on the line. Stan, how you doing today? Hey, Stan. I'm I'm going well, guys. How you doing? Listen, this is an experiment. I've got my Bluetooth on, and I'm doing my morning walk. So I hope uh, I don't lose you or sound too out of breath. No, no. You you sound, sound pretty good. clear to me right now. So the, All the, the right, Bluetooth's doing the good. trick. So, Stan, we started this show um, trying to remember Mo Gabba, and you've had yeah. you've had interactions with Mo, and I'm sure you've talked about him on your Zoom show this week. Uh, what can you tell us about Mo? What can you share with us about Mo as we remember the Orioles and Ravens superfan having passed on Tuesday night? Well, uh, first of all, you know his mom was just an unbelievable caregiver to uh, her son, or as she liked to call him on Facebook, her love bug, uh, Mo Gabba. So I want everybody that's possibly listening or watching to keep her in your thoughts and prayers. Uh, She's going to have a a tough time now. You know, some people may say when a a son who is uh, battling what he does when he passes, that, well, he's in a better place and he's out of pain now. But uh, a lot of times that doesn't take into account that what those that are left behind are feeling. I know Jeremy Kahn is really hurting. Uh, Jeremy took a special liking to, um, to Mo and, and really spent a lot of time making sure that his last couple months on this planet uh, were really something special. And uh, from, uh, from the... Um, the, uh, getting him inducted into the Baltimore City Police Force as Lieutenant Gabba, uh, to the uh, parade that they lined up and doing the big Mo show there. Jeremy uh, deserves a, a lot of uh, praise from us, and he didn't do it for that praise. He did it because he loved the kid. Absolutely. Uh, and the and there's that... somebody else that I met on my last visit with Mo at his house, which was two weeks ago yesterday. Uh, I was hoping, you guys familiar with the book, Tootsies with Mari, that Could, Mitch Album wrote? Uh, I, I, you're going to have to repeat that. You cut out for a split second. Yeah, I knew that was going to happen on this Bluetooth. You guys familiar with the book that Mitch Album, the uh, famous writer and sports columnist from Detroit, wrote for the Detroit Free Press for a number of years. He uh, wrote a book called Tootsies with Mari. I am not. About, I, I, I've I've heard of it, but I have never read it. I've never read okay. it. Okay. Well, I haven't ever read it either. It, but it boiled <laughs> down to virtually 
he went back and visited a sick teacher of his uh, who had been a professor of his in college and started spending every Tuesday with Mari. Uh, and he wrote a book about the special things you learn. Um, I was hoping my Fridays with Mo would turn into that a little bit, but it didn't play out that way. Mo was already really sick uh, after the treatment stopped. So anyway, uh, his teacher, I met her this last visit I had 10 days ago. Her name is Lynn Leach. She was his Braille teacher, and uh, she is hurting. I guarantee you that. She uh, knew how special a child Mo was and took special care of him. So I hope and pray that he's in a better place. Uh, he, he made an impact in our community at a time where we've got a lot of racial uh, unrest in our city, and uh, both sides are pretty hunkered down on not loving the other side. Uh, and this Mo Gabba brought that to our attention, and he transcended being a young black boy or a young black man. He uh, just was a special person, and everybody loved Mo. So with that, well, let's get back to talking baseball. Absolutely, and, we, and uh, wonderful things to have said about Mo there, and we certainly appreciate you talking about him just for a little bit here on the show today, yeah. Stan. Yeah. And we are coming to you from the live casino hotel studio here on the bat around with Paul Valley and Vasilius Nicolau. Uh, we have Stan Charles, Stan the Fan Charles on the line right now. And Stan, we were just talking about uh, Cole Salser. And last yeah. night, he picked up his second save of the year. He had two strikeouts and a 3 of 3 down ninth inning to preserve the win for the Orioles 6-3 over the Rays. But the night before, he certainly wasn't sharp, and that's an understatement. Left a 3-1 fastball right up over the plate for Aaron Judge to deposit in left field seats for a three-run homer, cause, causing the Orioles to lose their 6-5 lead and ultimately lose the game 8-6. Are you surprised to see a guy like Cole Salser as the Orioles' closer right now, and why is he in that role instead of somebody like who has a powerful arm like a Tanner Scott? Uh well, I think they they feel that, uh, number one, Cole can get right-handers and left-handers out. I mean, I've talked the last two nights on the postgame Zoom interview with Brandon Hyde. I've used my questioning to talk about Cole Solcer both nights. Um, and Brandon Hyde, look, he's not a fool. So if Cole Solcer in 10 days has three blown saves, then you might see something different. You might see him go back to Michael Givens. Uh, but right now, you know, that was supposed to be the job that Hunter Harvey was going to lock down, and so far we haven't seen Hunter, uh, you know, in the in the light of day, uh, which is unfortunate. Uh, but I like Cole Solcer a lot uh, based on what I've seen so far, and Brandon Hyde likes him a lot more. He did stress to me last night, though, that he, he used Michael Givens against the toughest part of the lineup. Now, that wasn't the case the night before, but he did stress last night that he felt he used Gibbons in a very uh, high-leverage situation. So uh, I think they like what they get out of Cole Solcer. I don't think Tanner Scott is sort of ready. His stuff, he'd certainly be ready to close games out. But I think his command is still not quite what it needs to be with that extra emotional amping up of him in the ninth inning, 
might not throw him off even you know more than he can he can handle right now. So I would keep Tanner Scott. I think he's going to evolve into a very important part of this bullpen. I agree. He's got great stuff. But uh, I don't think he's ready to close games yet. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. He came into that game last night, and he just needed to get two outs, and he threw 18 or 19 pitches, a lot of them balls. He threw a couple 55-foot breaking balls uh, last night. I actually got a swing and miss to end the inning on a 3-2 count. But it was, it was a nerve-wracking uh, performance from him because even though he didn't allow a run, his stuff was all over the place. Yeah, um... You know, Tanner, Tanner physically is probably the most capable guy to do that job, Paul. So it's a good point on your part. But I don't think he's, I don't think there's any way, shape, or form Brandon Hyde, in a, when all things are equal, would put him into a game, a high leverage situation. Oh, absolutely. He has to prove he can do it in less high leverage situations first before he gets the, uh, the other yep. opportunities. And, and talking about doing it once or twice it's got to become like a rhythm like he's used three or four times a week and gets the job done in the fifth or sixth inning you know and then all of a sudden you find one day Cole Solcer's hurt and you and Givens is gone the night before and you go with him but on the whole that's not going to happen right now yeah, yeah. Now, another pitcher that I heard you ask about in the Zoom uh, post-game co- press conference the other night, and what a lot of people were talking about is John Means. And he came out and he gave up five runs in his first inning the other day, but he was popping the mid at 96 miles per hour with his fastball, something that we haven't we, – we saw him touch 94 a few times last year, but he hit 96 seven or eight times the other night. Uh, what are you seeing from John Means? Were you impressed with his velocity, or do you just think that he was too amped up and was overthrowing? Well, I have no idea exactly how he's added that five miles an hour, but I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. Right. I'm going to take I'm going to take that five miles an hour every time because what that's going to do, hopefully, unless somehow his 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 motion of throwing his fastball somehow now changes his ability to have that incredible changeup. But it's going to make that cha- that changeup even more devastating. And conversely, when you now have 96 behind a, an 81, 82 mile an hour changeup, it makes your fastball look like it's 102. You know, oh, uh, it's up there in a hurry when you're timing it versus what you just saw. So uh, uh, I think the I won't say the sky's the limit because I'm still concerned about Means' ability to go out there for eight, nine weeks in a row and, and pitch 12, 14 times, you know? I so, agree, and I'm also not see. not um, not convinced that he can consistently get deep into games because of what, one of his big problems last year, and it was an issue this year uh, in his first start, even though he was only going to go about three or four innings anyway, yeah. was his inability to, lo- to limit his pitch count. He'd throw five shutout innings, but have 102 pitches through five innings and not come out for the sixth. And that's something I feel like he's going to really need to address if he wants to be a premier starter in this league. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. Again, we're talking about a guy that one year ago we were stunned. Well, it's more than a year ago because they started the games in late March last year. Right. But at the beginning of last season, I barely kind of knew who he was. And I go, okay, he's the 13th or 14th pitcher on the squad. 
And in short order, he became the most important part of that pitching staff last year. So um, he's got he I, he's got some things or some speed bumps before you want to get totally behind him. But he's a great kid, great makeup kid, and uh, I love the '96. There's no question about it. Well, another great kid who has a, who has a great makeup that people are excited about is Austin Hayes. Uh, Batting leadoff for the Orioles every game this year, playing center field. Uh, he has been robbed of a, of a couple of base hits, and he's been victimized in at least three at-bats that I can remember on pitches that were well out of the zone that were called strike threes on him. But overall, Austin Hayes just is not hitting right now. Um, I, I noted on last week's show that he looked a little overmatched in his first game. He may have just been a little amped up because it was op- his first opening day. But what are you seeing from Austin Hayes? Is is he trying to do too much, or is he just in an early season slump? Well, you know, again, when you look at when you look at one of the positives of this season, uh, and we uh, sort of cleared the decks by trading Jonathan VR, and we know why they traded Jonathan. It wasn't to get rid of him as a potential center fielder. Uh, one of the benefits of clearing the decks and then Trey Mancini's injury uh, and illness is that you're going to get full-time looks at D.J. Stewart and Austin Hayes. And I know your question is about Hayes specifically. The two of them both are scuffling right now, D.J. Stewart especially. Oh, yeah. Uh, except that the two times the manager, Brandon Hyde, has asked D.J. Stewart to sacrifice, he's getting the job done both times. So he's two for two on that. Uh, and I think both of those sacrifices occurred in wins, if I'm not mistaken. So there's little ways you can help win a game, but he's the one that really looks overmatched right now at the plate. Uh, and uh, I hope DJ, I like DJ. I, I don't think he's a, he was worthy of a first round pick, you know, with the, what was he, the eighth pick or something like that? No, he, he was like, like the 25th pick. That's right. That was a year after they were pretty good, yeah. the Orioles. So yeah. I, I still don't think he was even worthy of a 25th pick. I mean, he's probably a third or fourth rounder, uh, in my opinion. Um, his numbers at Florida State were, you know, sort of otherworldly. Oh, they were eye-popping. Um, yeah, they were eye-popping numbers. But the body type, I don't love. You know, he seems to step slow all the time in the upfield. I hope he's improved that a little bit because he's not – when, when I first met him, I said, boy, he's really chunky. He's not chunky anymore. He's just big. He's a stocky uh, guy. He's a stocky guy, so you can't, you can't expect him to, to come in at 200 pounds. You know, he is what he is. But I just, I just hope he's not letting this uh, opportunity slip through his fingers because uh, his Baltimore Oriole opportunity – really depends greatly on what he does this next month. You know, let's be honest about it. Um, this is an oddball season, but he needs to get it in gear. And I think he will have one good run. And the question is, because he got off to a shaky start. No, it was actually it was Cisco who got off to the shaky start at Norfolk last year. DJ was putting up some big numbers at uh, Norfolk last year. And some of the pitching he's faced... Right now, it's one thing to say he looked overmatched by Garrett Cole. Everybody does. Right. But he's looking like he's overmatched when he plays against Ryan Weber, you know, of the uh, Martin Perez. 
he shouldn't look like that against those guys. They're not that good. So, but getting back to Hayes, I, I, I hardly think he's letting an opportunity slip through his fingers. You see some of the other things he does. He runs so well. He defends very well. Uh, but this is his first extended look we're going to get at him. I know we got three weeks of him last, last September. But Buck Showalter always used to remind us, uh, because we're not, we're not really scouts, Right. Be careful what you careful what you see in March. Be careful for what you see in September, because both of those don't mean a heck of a lot. Yeah, you want them to do nice and well in those time slots, but that's not when the, the heart of the season is. We're in the heart of the season, and Austin Hayes needs to show more offensively. I'm sure hoping he will. Well, absolutely, and there's there's a lot of young stars that are off to slow starts right now, and I think that Austin Hayes is going to get a is going to get a fairly oh, long got, long leash. His base running got, is pretty tough. I've to got watch. Christian Yelich right now in my one fantasy league. Yep. I had the number two pick. <laughs> Christian Yelich is hitting is hitting zero thirty eight, and has struck out. I'd say probably twelve fourteen times. Twelve times he hit, the, he hit the number on the head twelve times. Yeah, Vasily. Yeah. Um, so uh, we, we talked about John Means. We talked about Austin Hayes. I wanted to get to last night's starter, Alex Cobb. Of course, his, his last night's start wasn't as flashy as, as his start last Saturday. Uh, four innings pitched, four, allowed four hits, two earned runs, struck out two. What, what have you seen from Alex Cobb, and, and what do you foresee that he's going to do from here on out? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, First of all, first and foremost, the most important thing with Alex Cobb is he's healthy. And he says in every interview that he does with the media that he feels great. I'm not going to blame it, nor did he, last night on the home plate umpire. But there were five or six pitches last night that he didn't get. And I think his start might have looked vastly different had he gotten even half of those, you know. I thought the umpire squeezed him a little bit. Uh, clearly didn't have the stuff he had the first start, but he uh, he was taxed partly because of that those pitches that the umpire was extremely tight on. And I asked him that question in the Zoom interview last night, and he, again, he, he said he actually thought that the umpire was good and was right on most of them, but he admitted it was a tight strike zone, which is not going to benefit Alex Cobb. Well, and I think that one of the things that we're going to see out of Alex Cobb is that, you know, two years ago when he first when he first came to Baltimore, at the beginning of the season when he had those mighty struggles, a start like last night, he would have imploded. Whereas last night he 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 had his struggles, but he only gave up the two runs. Whereas you would have seen well, him give up six or well, seven runs in the past. Well, two years ago that was. That was pretty close to malpractice on the part of uh, Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter. Uh, the timing of signing him about five, six days before spring training was over, and right. then rushing him into the rotation uh, without sending him. You know, remember there was a whole thing after he signed that he might actually go to Norfolk and pitch a couple times, yes. and they found it so so important to get him in the second series or the third series of the year. At, I think he pitched at Fenway or, or Detroit. It was Fenway. He got in, lit up. In, in, in incredibly cold weather 
And I think he came back again in Detroit, I think. Anyway, I thought that was almost malpractice the way they rushed him. Uh, this is not even close to that right now. He's ready to pitch. And uh, as we saw in his first start, uh, when he's he's on, the Orioles got themselves a good pitcher. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, now the thing about Alex Cobb is if he's on, he could be a trade candidate. We saw Richard Blyer. He got traded last night. Uh, do, you, yeah. do you think that that's the future for Alex Cobb as well if he continues to pitch well this year? Well, uh, let's. I'm just curious if you guys know, because I didn't really know uh, until Luke Jackson, our editor at Pressbox, texted me about 1230 last night. I didn't know about Blyer. Did the Marlins make two or three deals like that? I'm wondering if they're, they're not simply being sort of forced by MLB to increase the major league um, caliber ro- roster rather than bring up 15 guys all at once from the minors. So it wouldn't surprise me if before the Marlins play in the next couple of days, uh, if they do, if they haven't added three or four players from the minors, maybe get a couple of their guys back and add two or three guys, two or three guys in trades like this, um, I'm going to miss Blyer. I like I like him a lot. Very solid guy. Uh, my gut feeling is the Orioles are going to get something fairly decent in return for him, which wouldn't be the case in such a short season on a team that doesn't figure to go anywhere. I think they're under some pressure. I mean, the Marlins, let's be honest, they, Major League Baseball did a, has done a overall... I think a pretty excellent job at pulling this thing to summer camps and getting the game started and all this. And I'm not a, a guy who loves Rob Manfred, but I will tell you this. They should have had a structure in place that a team was a team that would have a situation like this because this didn't this this outbreak didn't occur just by accident. This outbreak occurred because the Marlins were irresponsible. Individually, one hundred percent, and corporately. I mean, it's an absolute disgrace that one team is allowed to kind of muck up the entire uh, effort by Major League Baseball to get a season on. It's an absolute disgrace. It really is. And those people ought to be those fifteen, eighteen, twenty guys on that team. They ought to be ashamed of themselves. Oh, they absolutely should be. To have four players test positive and then have that group text message to say we're still going to play anyway on Sunday. They, they I, I was saying that in the, in the opening of the show. They absolutely screwed over the rest of baseball with that move. They, because they that, absolutely did. No they, they, question about it. They have there's six or seven other teams that are inactive now because of the Marlins di- directly yep. impacted by this, and it's it's an absolute travesty. Now, you hit it the nail on the head. Not, and not in fairness to the Marlins, because I stand by what I said. The commissioner, really, this was an, a huge oversight, not having, like, a person overseeing what these teams were doing. You Absolutely. know, sort of being a, a hall monitor, if you were. And, uh, again, absolute disgrace. So it wouldn't be surprising to me if they're under pressure by Major League Baseball. You go out and get three or four guys, you know, that are major league caliber, and you'll get three or four guys that hopefully will test negative a couple times in four days, and and then you bring up four guys because um, they can't be a laugh. They can't be the laughing stock of baseball by having you know a roster of thirty players where twenty two of them are minor league caliber. 
100%. And to answer your question about the Marlins, since Monday, yeah. the Richard Blyer trade is their 11th transaction. Jeez. It's their 11th transaction since Monday. So, yeah, they're, they're, I think that they are under pressure to go get some major league guys on their roster. Well, who else are in, the, in those transactioners? Are those merely bringing guys up from their organization, or are they are they acquisitions from other organizations? Um. They, there's some acquisitions from uh, some guys who acquired off waivers from Milwaukee, from Cincinnati. Um, well, Logan, any names? Uh, any names you or I would yes. would recognize? Wellington Castillo, uh, from who used to be with the Orioles, he signed sure. yesterday to a minor league okay. contract, and Logan Forsythe, Forsythe okay. uh, signed that's to a major the, that's league what contract. I'm saying. Minor and league I, contract. And my my feeling is that the Orioles are going to get a little better than what uh, Richard Blyer is probably worth in a in a regular uh, season. I feel bad for Richard that he's got to go into that cesspool right now. I do too. And you hope that the Orioles do get a little bit better. You don't look at a 33-year-old uh, salt-throwing lefty reliever as a main piece of a bullpen moving forward in a rebuild. Right. But he's been one of their better arms out of the bullpen early on this year. So I'm sad to yeah. see him go, but I understand the move. Yeah, I understand it. I understand it as well. So, I uh, hope it bodes well that they think that maybe Hunter Harvey is about ready to come back. Uh, but I don't know anything about that. I haven't heard a word about Hunter Harvey's condition. Yeah, well, I heard that he was with the team the other day. So hopefully right. it's sooner rather than later. Stan, thanks for yeah. joining the show, man. we got to go get a break. I'm going to give you a plug here real quick when I get you off the line. Uh, for your, All right, for and your remember, show, we but... thank our friends at Live Casino Hotel. We're in their studio. Oh. We, only, we only borrow it. 100%. We are, we are in our borrowed studio from the Live Casino Hotel studio. Stan Charles online. Thank, thank you so I'll much, man. I'll see you guys man. later. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. See we'll you, talk Stan. to you next week. See ya. And what a lovely studio it is, isn't it? Oh, absolutely a lovely studio. And speaking of Stan, if you are missing your Stan the Fan fix, you can get it twice a week on Facebook, live at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley talk baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein talk to a newsmaker in the sports world. This week, Stan and Ross caught up with former Orioles closer Greg Olson, while Stan and Gary chatted with Masson's Mel Antonin. Find both shows via the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or at pressboxonline.com. And coming up this Monday night, you won't want to miss it. Glenn didn't give me the rest of that, of that live read. Rut row. All right. Don't want to miss Stan's show this Monday night with Ross Grimsley. I don't know who's going to be on the show because that part did not print out on the live read, and I apologize. But Stan does great work every Monday, every Wednesday. Tune in because I'm sure it's going to be a great one. Sorry, Stan, that I didn't have the rest of that live read. My sincerest apologies. Folks, we're going to get a break here. When we get back, when we get back from our break, we're going to have John Mioli, beat writer for the Baltimore Orioles from the Baltimore Sun. And until then... Paying some bills. Stay tuned. If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen, and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world, and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us 
us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Are you hungry? Well, sail over to Royal Farms for Chicken Palooza 3 and get your hooks on a two-piece world-famous chicken box with a portion of each sale benefiting the Johns Hopkins Children's Center or the all-new hand-breaded crispy on the outside, tender on the inside, world-famous chicken sandwich, the Royal, for just five bucks. Shiver me tenders. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. Glory Days Grill's summer seasonal menu is now available for dine-in, dine-out on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new knockout shrimp or the delicious lobster roll with grilled corn made with real Maine lobster. They're open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and stay positive during this challenging time in our community. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Brett the Hitman Hart. It's good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy, Scott Hall. Mm, hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Yeah. Le champion! Chris Jericho. Le champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at pressboxonline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Bat Around. I'm Vasilios, Paul Valley, just getting John Mioli on the line. We're from the live casino hotel studio. We are here until noon, and we are talking O's baseball with John Mioli right now. He's on the line. Hey, John. Wasn't ready for that. Oh, How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Hey, John, thanks for joining the show. And before we get to asking you questions, Stan sent me a text message. It's going to be Gary Kendall on the show Monday night, so you don't want to miss that with uh, Gary Kendall on with Stan and Ross on Monday night. John, how are you today, man? I'm doing well. Late night for the Orioles last night. A lot of stuff happened, but I'm getting the engine turned over for sure. Absolutely. I definitely stayed up. I actually stayed up and watched all those West Coast games, too, uh, last night, just so I could have something for our scoreboard uh, for later on in the show. What are you thinking about the team right now? Cole Salser, he went out there, and you and I talked the other day about the Orioles Relief Corps. Cole Cole Salser, he seems to be the... um, he seems to have inherited that closer's role right now. Had a little bit of a struggle on Thursday, but came back and bounced back really nicely last night. What are you seeing from Cole, and do you think he has the stuff to continue in that closer's role? Yeah, I mean, he, he's obviously in the outings that have gone well for him look very good. Um, you know, Brandon Hyde was kind of saying a day later, now that he had, you know, it wasn't making excuses after the game time that he thought Sulcer got a little bit squeezed on Thursday against the Yankees, but He's doing exactly what the Orioles, you know, want all these relievers that have come through here in the last couple of years to do, which is come in and throw a strike and trust your stuff and know how your stuff works and not get intimidated by the moment. And there are, you know, there are countless guys who have been in this bullpen or are in this bullpen still who have all this stuff in the world and 
what they've done in low leverage situations leads one to believe that if you put them in a situation like the Orioles put Cole Salter in this, a couple times this week, they would absolutely implode. And Cole Salter's been around in the minors a long time. He's pitched a lot. He knows what he's doing, and he can handle those. Now, uh, yesterday, Brandon Hyde said that you know Michael Givens and Miguel Castro would get some of those big high leverage spots against right-handers. I guess now that Richard Blyer's gone, you know Cole Salter is going to be a guy they use against left-handers a lot in those situations. He'll still probably get some save opportunities, but it's not it's not going to be like they designate him the closer at this point. Although it basically seems like he is that. Right, and you mentioned Richard Blyer, and he was one of the better arms early on this season coming out of the Orioles' bullpen. He's pitched very well, pitched really well last night. Um, is Richard Blyer being traded, Is that what's the, the corresponding move coming up from that? I know he's a pitcher going out, so it might not mean Ryan Mountcastle, but we're about at that eight-day mark. Uh, what move are we looking at? You know, that was my first thought, too. I thought yesterday if Chris Davis, if his situation didn't clear up in the in the positive, well, I guess I can't say positive. If he had tested positive or had something COVID-related that required him to go away uh, for a while, I thought that would have been Ryan Mountcastle's time. I think that I think that this could this could be, especially considering I think that Dwight Smith's home run off Garrett Cole is the only hit that any that he, T.J. Stewart, or Cedric Mullins have combined at this point. So it's not like there's not a need, um, right. but you do wonder. You know, Brandon Hyde's been asking a lot of his bullpen. I would venture to say that there's a few guys who pitched last night that aren't going to be available today. They're arguably going to be down Blyer. So you wonder if you wonder if they'll just add a, a pitcher just to you know just to keep that group deep and that consistency there. But my my mom went to the same place as you. Maybe this is our Mountcastle time. Well, and you mentioned that the bullpen, there's some guys that aren't going to be used that were used last night, and Blyer's gone now. Um, Cody Carroll just got sent down to the to the Bowie campus the other day. I know that normally in a minor league, with the minor league system, the way it works is you have to go down and you have to stay down for 10 days. What's the rule with that right now with the satellite campus and the 60-man pool? Can they pull anybody up no matter what? My understanding is that is that those option rules are still in place. Um, I'm not positive, though. I feel like some of the, you know, the injured list time frames were maybe changed, and I think that it was supposed to be changed to, to pitchers from 10 days to 15 days they had to be down this year. I think it might be 10 now mm-hmm. and not 15 the way it was supposed to be if this was a normal season. But to be perfectly honest with you, I, I, I don't know that for sure. Uh, hey John. So now uh, I wanted to. We're speaking about pitching already. I wanted to talk about today's starting pitcher Wade LeBlanc, and we saw last weekend he had a decent outing, five and two thirds, four strikeouts, four earned runs, gave up four hits. Um, what What do you think he? What do you think is the ceiling for Wade LeBlanc? I mean, there was a decent start last week. Do you think maybe he could replicate that today? Absolutely, and and what what the Orioles are going to run into the rest of this weekend, and at this point, you know, two out of every five games with him and Tommy Malone, both in the starting rotation, and at this point, back to back in it is, it's really really difficult for those finesse pitchers who rely on you know perfect command and and keeping guys off balance and mixing pitches to to do that at Camden Yards, you know. 
we saw it at Fenway Park. He made a couple of mistakes, and they left the ballpark pretty quickly. And that's only going to happen. That's only going to happen more when he's pitching, you know, in the Orioles' home whites or whatever they decide to wear today. No, he's a pitcher who knows how to get through that. It, it would be surprising if he was the kind who, if he was the kind of guy who, you know, had complete implosion outings, the way that the way that this team has seen in the past and didn't get them deep into games and didn't really keep them competitive. He's going to. He's going to hang in there, but I'm interested to see these next couple of days how him and Tommy Malone both vary Camden Yards because it's a lot. It's a lot to ask somebody to make no mistakes against a pretty good lineup for five, six innings there, and not expect there to be a couple, you know, fly balls that sneak out of the ballpark. Well, and with you mentioning uh, Tommy Malone getting the start tomorrow, we we know that Cole Stewart opted out. He we. He didn't seem too positive that he was fully opting out for the whole season. He said, for now, I'm, I'm choosing not to take part in the 2020 season. Um, if he hadn't decided to opt out, would tomorrow's start have gone to him? Because it was, it was listed as TBD uh, up until he did, it was announced that he was opting out. It's certainly possible. He was scheduled to start on Tuesday against the Marlins. Um, I know the Orioles ended up having a workout that day instead, so it's possible that given what they knew about their schedule at that point, that he would have, he would have, you know, had a pretty heavy bullpen or pitched the hitters that day, just to just to keep him on some kind of schedule and prepare him for a start on Sunday. Tommy Malone was in the bullpen on Wednesday when the Orioles played the Yankees, so it doesn't seem like it was always the plan for him to be starting. But now that Cole, Cole Stewart is has opted out it seems like it seems like that was a pretty shrewd move to keep him around and and find him in the middle of spring training the way the team did oh absolutely and then uh cole stewart was he he was supposed to start on tuesday uh he and malone was in the bullpen on wednesday do we have any idea what is going to happen with the Orioles schedule after this weekend because they were supposed to play in baltimore against the yankees i'm assuming that's out because they just played them the other uh two days ago do we know who they're going to be playing when the weekend ends? No, and, and it was funny to look at the schedule um, last week, and it would basically have, like, you know, both the Marlins games that were postponed and the Yankees games that were playing on the schedule the same day. Right. Now the Yankees games for Monday and Tuesday are not on the schedule, so I would assume that they're going to try to get the Marlins down from Philadelphia and, and try to have as many, you know, now you can play the seven-inning doubleheader games. Maybe you just go seven and seven Monday and seven and seven Tuesday or maybe spread it out a little bit to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday uh, just, to, just to get those four games that needed to get played by the Marlins in. Uh, I saw somewhere, someone reported, I can't credit it properly right now, that the plan was for Richard Breyer basically just to just hang out here and wait to, rejoin the Mar- or to join the Marlins when they come to Baltimore if that's what they're going to end up doing. John, you mentioned the the seven inning double headed double header games. Can you expand a little more on that for the folks who don't know? Because I know that just happened in the last like forty eight hours, and I want to know your feelings about it. What's your take? Yeah, so so so, so recently, in, in response to the players, I believe asking for it, MLB is going to allow seven inning double headers instead of both teams being nine innings uh, this year, just to kind of reduce the wear and tear. I know the players wanted it just for you know, the sake of spending a little less time on the field. The league pushed back initially just because that still means a long time 
at the clubhouse and around each other in those indoor spaces before, between, and after the games. And as we're seeing with the, the Marlins and now, to some extent, the St. Louis Cardinals, it seems like those indoor spaces are the ones that are where, you know, COVID is being transmitted. So the league's going to be doing those. I believe today's the first day that could happen. It was put into teams like the Orioles and Marlins could make up some of these games. Personally, it's, you know, it's fine by me. It's not going to change the experience um, too, too much for me, but I spend a lot of time at my early games, and I always, whenever there's a rain out, you know, I always try to see who's pitching one day, who's, or who, who's supposed to pitch, who's going to pitch, and I always talk myself into the seven-inning doubleheader being, like, a good thing to do. And one of the games always ends up going long or going extra innings, and you, you don't it's just, it's just fate. It's just fate. If you show up thinking you're just going to play 14 innings, you never do. So I'm not going to get my hopes up that that if the Orioles are playing seven inning doubleheaders starting at uh, four or five o'clock on Monday against the Marlins, that that's going to make the night any shorter than it would be if it was a regular doubleheader. Well, yeah. I mean, baseball is is a nine-inning game. If the baseball gods want nine innings, they're going to get nine innings is basically what it sounds like you're saying here. Now, all of this is happening because of the whole COVID pandemic, and it's really thrown a wrench in everybody's schedule, not just Major League Baseball. John, what has become your normal day on the beat for the Orioles, considering you don't really get access to the to the players? You're, you're interviewing them on Zoom after – in Zoom meetings after games, what's your normal day like as compared to what it would normally be like during a normal 162-game season? Yeah, so a normal day for a 7.30 game, the way that we have now, sometime in the 3 o'clock hour, we'll, we'll, we'll get a player or two on Zoom before the game. Around 4 o'clock, we'll talk to Brandon Hyde. And it really depends on whether, like how you expect the day to play out, whether you do those at your house, you do those at the ballpark. On Wednesday, I went to the ball. I did them all at home, and I went to the ballpark at like five something. We have to be in by five thirty. Yesterday, I was just expecting it to be kind of a, a little more hectic, and I wanted to be there to see who was, you know, taking BP and who was around in case guys were were missing from the Chris Davis fallout. If, if there was going to be any, so I got there right at three thirty, and I did the zoom in my car with Chris Davis, and I got there, but obviously four hours before the game, there's not a ton to do, so. It just kind of depends, and then you're, you're kind of beholden to, you know, the game. It, 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 it's difficult. There's not as much to do at the ballpark as there normally is. In, in regular circumstances, you get an hour in the clubhouse. You have a session with the manager. It's 10, 15 minutes. You're out on the field for BP. You're, you're, you're talking to people there. You're talking to people in the dugout, and then all of a sudden it's in the fives. And you do some work, and you eat, and then the game starts, and you keep working. It's really hard to establish that rhythm. You're just basically confined to your press box seat from the moment you get there to the moment you leave. And on a day like yesterday, when the game starts at 8.30, it's it's a lot of time sitting, (laughs) waiting for baseball to happen. And then then, then you you have to wait until the game develops to try to see what's going to play out. And then on some days, you're lucky, and... uh, you know, they'd make a trade at 12.45 at night <laughs> in the morning, and you have to keep going from there. So the days are not normal. I don't uh, I don't know what will be normal. I don't know what routine is going to be established, but but I do know that um, 
you know, all the people involved to make these things happen for us are doing a good job making it so. They're all working hard to make sure that whatever access we can get, we can. Well, John, um, we certainly appreciate you coming on the show today. Before we let you go, uh, you and I talked about this a little bit the other day. We're trying to pay tribute and remember Mo Gabba, Orioles and Ravens superfan who passed away tragically from uh, his fourth battle with cancer on Tuesday night. Do you have any sentiments or stories that you'd like to share about Mo with our listening audience today before we let you go? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's been, it's been, it's been really nice to see all the everything coming out in the last week about the impact he had on people. I never met him personally, but you could tell by even even when he was at the ballpark, the people who were interacting with him, it just meant so much to them. And I and I always remember, I guess it was 2018. Trey Mancini had that really rough start to the year. Um. Just, just couldn't really. He was just in a funk. It seemed like he was in a funk on the field. He was in a funk off the field. The All Star break came, and I was talking to him a little bit. And he, I expect, you know, maybe guys will go away. Maybe they'll go on a little vacation. Maybe they'll go home for a little bit. And he stuck around. I remember that stuck with me after you know we had that conversation in that July. And then he just kind of took off. He had like a really, really good six weeks. And we were doing a story kind of looking back on how he turned things around. He told me that one of the things that he did over that All-Star break was just go hang out with Mo because he'd meant to be doing it. He'd, he'd known him through various things, and he'd, he'd been meaning to, you know, spend some quality time with him, and he just couldn't because the schedule is the schedule, and you're playing baseball every day, and it's hard to do that. And he'd obviously been having, you know, this, the on-field struggles weigh on him. And after he hung out with Mo, he was kind of thinking to himself, like, what am I doing feeling bad about myself playing baseball? <laughs> you know, I got it pretty good. I can, you know, this is not a big deal. I can, I can get over what I'm dealing with. This is the kid who's dealing with a lot worse, and he's putting a smile on my face and asking me how I am. Now, Trey mentioned that in his essay about, you know, his cancer diagnosis and, Obviously, he has a connection to Mo now through that. That's even that's even stronger. But it just it just strikes me that you know, he's one of many players on, on the Orioles, Ravens, all the teams around this area, you know, media members who who just you know had a lot of positive impact on their life just by knowing and spending time with Mo, and that's that's quite a legacy to leave behind. Absolutely, we were we were talking a little bit earlier and saying how you know. Our problems pale in comparison to what Mo dealt with, and he never acted like he ever had a bad day. So, John, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I really uh, appreciate you talking to us, talking about the Orioles and about Mo, and we look forward to having you on again soon and talking soon. All right? Thanks, John. Absolutely. Have a good one, fellas. All right, man. Take it easy. All right, that was John Mioli of the Baltimore Sun, and you know I played golf with John really? the other day, and I had him out to my to the club that I belong to. I'm not hoity-toity. I got an excellent deal uh, at Winners Run Golf Club out there, uh, uh, out there in Bel Air. The question is, who won? Oh, that's what I'm getting to. Okay, don't don't, don't steal my thunder now, Vasilios. <laughs> don't steal my thunder now. Um, actually, there's no thunder to steal. John whooped my butt. 
Oh, uh, I've man. actually been playing pretty well the last month or so, but that that was my I played my worst round in about two months, of course, right. because I have I have a guest out there to play with me. Uh, John beat me by nine strokes. Solid golfer, solid golfer. Every tee shot that he hit was in the middle of the fairway. Um, so. Big ups to John. I have to, I, I owe him one. I have to get back out there and play the golf I know how to play because he he whooped my butt up and down that golf course uh, earlier this week. So, um, the latest edition of uh, Vasilis, if you can hold up the, the press oh, box yes. thing right there Absolutely. for me, the latest edition of press box is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 25th anniversary of Cal Ripken breaking Lou Gehrig's consecutive games record. And a little bit lower for me. Yeah. Uh, can say give games record and the unique 19 minutes of silence ESPN's Chris Berman spent while the celebration unfolded. Bill Wardeen spoke to both Berman and Ripken about the incredible moment. Also inside, Ken Zalis offers his fantasy football draft guide and much more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, we are going to get our second break because we have a lot of content to cover coming here out of the break. We have Bill Latson of MLB.com that's going to be on the line when we come back. Uh, until then... As I said last week, as I'll continue to say, got to pay some bills here from the Live Casino Hotel studio. Talk to you after the break. If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen, and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world, and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to Army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can you give me a ride? Ahoy, matey. I'd love to. Batten down the hatches and let's set sail. Um, why are you talking like a pirate? Because our voyage will stop at Royal Farms for Chicken Palooza 3. Yo-ho-ho! Royal Farms Chicken Palooza 3 is going on now, and it's a treasure trove of golden chicken delights. Sail in and get a delicious two-piece, world-famous chicken box made with fresh, never-frozen chicken or the all-new, hand-breaded, crispy-on-the-outside, tender-on-the-inside, world-famous chicken sandwich, the Royal, for only 5 bucks. Plus, a portion of each chicken box sale will benefit the Johns Hopkins Children's Center. Well, uh, shiver me timbers, Dad. Let's heave ho to Rofo. Oh, that's my little scallywag. Royal Farms Chicken Palooza 3. It's bigger, better, and more tasty than ever. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Baltimore's favorite bar, Sliders Bar and Grill, is now open. Just across the street from Camden Yards, Sliders is open, and they've added new menu items, new frozen cocktails, and new 32-ounce beers. If you're not ready to go out just yet, you can still order from Sliders' carryout menu, and they still have liter bottles of hand sanitizer available for just $15. Call 443-835-0906 or 410-547-8891 or visit slidersbaltimore.com. We'll see you this summer at Sliders. 
The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 25th anniversary of Cal Ripken breaking Lou Gehrig's consecutive games record and the unique 19 minutes of silence ESPN's Chris Berman spent while the celebration unfolded. Bill Erdine spoke to both Berman and Ripken about the incredible moment. Also inside, Ken Zalis offers his fantasy football draft guide and much more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Welcome in, everybody, to the Bat Around with Paul Valley and Vasilios Nicolau. I'm Vasilios Nicolau. Paul Valley is trying to get Bill Ladson on the line right now. We're coming to you from the Live Casino Hotel Studio. We're talking some O's today. We're, talk- we're talking Mo today, and we're-, we're having some fun while we do it. We're on air for another about 45 minutes, and we're going to have a blast talking about it. The O's, of course, today. Uh, they played a night, Wade LeBlanc on the mound. 7.35 p.m. start against the Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park. Uh, and we, uh, I can talk about the schedule now? No, that, that, that's all right, man. We could, uh, I could not seem to get Bill on the line. Sometimes when you can't get somebody on the line, you hang up. The phone from here will automatically call you right back. Right. Unfortunately, couldn't seem to get Bill on the line today. Um Hopefully, well, uh, hopefully, we'll, we'll, hopefully he's doing okay. Hopefully, yeah. we'll be able to get him uh, last week. It, he is a columnist for MLB.com, so it's just one of those things where he might be a little busy. You yeah. know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and take it personally. What we will do uh, is move up the payoff pitch around the league segment here. So last night we had a we had several games going on. Uh, the Twins played in Cleveland. They won that game four to one. Max Kepler hit his third home run, and four Minnesota relievers combined to allow two hits over the final four innings in that Twins four to one victory. Adam Engel's three run home run was all the scoring Dallas Keuchel needed as he threw five and a third innings of two run ball to pick up his second win in the White Sox three to two win over the Kansas City Royals. J.D. Davis's three RBIs for the Mets were not enough as Travis D'Arnold's three hits and five RBIs helped the Braves outlast the Mets 11-10 in a wild one at City Field last night. Detroit got seven hits and five RBIs from the bottom third of the order, and the bullpen didn't allow a hit as the Tigers handled the Cincinnati Reds 7-2. Aaron Judge homered again, and Jordan Montgomery tossed five and two-thirds innings of one-run balls. The Yankees took care of the Red Sox 5-1 to remain baseball's only one-loss team. Technically, the Marlins are a one-loss team, but they haven't played in a week. So we're going we're gonna to give that, that credit to the Yankees, and you know how much it hurts me to do that. All right, uh, Tommy Pham homered and drove in three as the Padres used a four-run ninth to stave off the Rockies, who scored two runs of their own in the ninth inning. Eight to seven for the Padres' Major League best sixth win. Taiwan Walker. Surrendered just one hit in seven shutout innings, and the Mariners outlasted the A's 5-3. Taiwan Walker was somebody that uh, a lot of Orioles fans wanted the Orioles to sign last offseason. He was coming off an injury. Was not good in his first start this year, but really bounced back with one hit in seven shutout innings for the Mariners last night, again in a 5-3 win over the A's. Wilmer Flores and Darren Ruffs drove in three apiece for the Giants. San Francisco dropped the Rangers to 2-4 and four with a 9-2 victory last night. Hugh Darvish, one of his best starts as a Cub, struck out seven in six shutout innings, and Jason Kipnis hit his first Cubs home run in the Northsiders' 6-3 win over the Pirates. 
Former Oriole Christian Walker, I was watching this game live last night, smacked a three-run double to highlight a four-run eighth inning for Arizona as the Diamondbacks come back to beat the Dodgers 5-3. to three. If you missed that game, Mookie Betts threw out a dude at third base with an absolute hose. That ball, they said, traveled in the air more than 300 feet. I don't think I could, I've ever thrown a ball on hops 300 feet. And Mookie, <laughs> Mookie Betts threw a baseball 300 feet in the air to nail a dude at third base last night. That was an incredible night. throw. Absolutely incredible throw up there with Jose Guillen and um, Yoenis Cespedes when he was playing with the A's several years ago. It wasn't even just the distance, though. The, the it, way it made it into into the, the glove. And oh, it's incredibly accurate. Was just beautiful. Absolutely. And finally, last night, Jose Altuve's nightmarish start continued as a former MVP went 0 for 4. But Kyle Tucker collected three hits and four RBIs to lead the Astros to a 9-6 victory over the Angels. Vasilios. What's on tap for Major League Baseball today? Oh, boy. So do we have a late slate of games today? Uh, we only have one game at 1.10 p.m. It is Cincinnati Reds at Detroit Tigers. And then it's in, the, in the 7 o'clock hour, we have the Chicago White Sox taking on the Kansas City Royals, the Boston Red Sox taking on the New York Yankees, the Houston Astros taking on the L.A. Angels, the New York Mets taking on the Atlanta Braves, the Cleveland uh, the Cleveland Indians taking on the Minnesota Twins, St. Louis Cardinals taking on the Milwaukee Brewers, and like I mentioned before, the Tampa Bay Rays are at Oriole Park to take on the O's. Wade LeBlanc on the mound. Uh, the L.A. Dodgers uh, starting at eight o'clock. The L.A. Dodgers taking taking on the Arizona Diamondbacks in Arizona. The San Diego Padres taking on the Colorado Rockies. The Pittsburgh Pirates taking on the Chicago Cubs. Starting at nine o'clock. We have the Texas Rangers going against the San Francisco Giants, the Oakland Athletics taking on the Seattle Mariners, and, of course, we have the three postponed games, the Philadelphia Phillies, Toronto or Blue Jays, Washington Nationals against the Miami Marlins, and the, another postponed Phillies in Toronto game. And have we got uh, – <clears throat> you might not know. I'm not sure just yet. Last night's game between the Cardinals and Brewers got postponed because two Cardinals players tested positive for COVID. Um, we are not sure if they're going to – they, they said that they're going to get this game played tonight. I don't know how you can. I, uh, I, I mean, I guess that you're going to test the rest of your team. But if they test, if these guys tested positive and they've been around these other guys – it, they say that the epidemiologists, uh, epidemiologists, that's always a tough word for me. Uh, apparently so is Belarus. I won't get into that. But um, these epidemiologists say it can take up to five days for you to be able to tell if, if you're COVID positive. So yeah. I don't know. I, I think it's just the smarter play to cancel that series with the Brewers and the Cardinals. They, they agreed to these seven-inning doubleheader rules now um, because of the whole COVID, in my opinion, because of the whole COVID thing. So... If you want to make these games up at a different date and play seven-inning double headers, I think that that's a better option than potentially getting more people susceptible. But that's not my call. There's uh, there's medical experts in place with every ball club. So if they say it's safe to play, maybe it is safe to play. I would rather err on the side of caution than anything else. Um, well, a couple of things we're going to talk about with Bill Ladson today. Uh, some big names are off to slow starts. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a list of names. And this these are their numbers going into last night's game. A couple of guys like George Springer had, had two hits last night. Um, but just And then like Christian Yelich, he didn't play last night. But Christian Yelich, 
one for 27 this year with 12 strikeouts. Ronald Acuna Jr. going into last night's game, five for 33 with 17 Ks. He doesn't have a home run. He doesn't have an RBI. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who, who had the potential, if he hadn't missed a little bit of time last year, could have been a 40-40 guy uh, at the major league level, and he doesn't even have an RBI. In the, through the first week plus of the Major League Baseball season. Chris Bryant, former MVP, uh, 2 for 24 with 10 strikeouts. Gary Sanchez, you hate to see it. <laughs> 0 for 15 with 10 strikeouts. I feel really bad for you, Gary. It's not, really a, good, bad. It's not a good start to the season for former MVPs, is it? No, no, it... it, it <laughs> It really isn't. Uh, even even Cody Bellinger isn't having a great yeah, a not. great start. Mike, Mike Trout, he's hitting the two nineties right now, but he's on paternity leave, so he's not playing right now. Uh, George Springer, one for twenty one. That's an 0-48 batting average. Jose Altuve, four for twenty three, one seventy four, and Car- and uh, Alex Bregman, four for twenty three, also one seventy four. Altuve went zero for four last night. I believe Bregman did have a hit. I think it's funny. That there are three prominent Houston Astros players on this list that are having terrible starts to the year. Is it because there's no, there's no trash cans to bang on right now? Yes, but and like you, you mentioned, you mentioned the Astros, and one thing, one thing we we weren't able to get to, and I, I will I will happily talk about this later if you if you would prefer. But Joe Kelly. Uh, that's, that was literally the next topic on my list. Okay. <laughs> was Joe Kelly. I sent you this list last it, night. You know it, it, this. It cut off on the bottom. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, no, um, yeah, I, I think at the Astros, it's you, – you, I guess you hate to see cheaters getting their comeuppance. <laughs> Not really, but it's – Well, yeah. the, the, the whole thing with Joe Kelly, and if, you, and if you're – you don't know what happened, so – the Astros and the Dodgers played a two-game series the other day, the uh, earlier in the week, and the Dodgers swept that that series. They they won both games. Joe Kelly in the first game, he fell behind Alex Bregman 3-0, so he throws a 96 mile per hour fastball behind Bregman's head. So Bregman gets on first base, and then he throws a couple of short hop pickoff attempts over the first base with Bregman on that almost hit him. Whether or not that's intentional, we did see that video in the offseason where Joe Kelly fired a fastball in, uh, while he's pitching on his own at his house, and it went over what looked like a 20-foot net <laughs> and went through one of his windows, breaking a window. I remember seeing that. Yeah, so he doesn't have the, the, the greatest amount of accuracy. Um, so he falls behind 3-0 on Bregman, throws a 96-mile-per-hour fastball behind his head. And then, after that, he... Throw, he, he throws a couple of inside breaking balls to uh, to Carlos Correa, and then ends up getting Carlos Correa to strike out on an absolutely filthy curveball that, that basically landed in the other batter's box. And as he's walking off the field, um, he's he's exchanging expletives with Correa. Correa is saying, "Throw me your fastball," and uh, and I, I'll, I'd be running home right now. And then you have Joe Kelly making a pouty face at him, sticking his lip out, yeah. and then uh, basically saying, "Oh yeah, like I'm gonna, like I'm gonna throw my fastball right down the middle to you. Like I'm gonna give you a fastball right down the middle, please." And basically told him to shut the f up. Well, these transgressions from Joe Kelly got him an eight-game suspension, which is 13% of uh, a 60-game season. It is the it. equivalent of. A 22-game suspension in a 162-game season. And keep in mind, now look, 
whether or not he has great control is neither here nor there. It was pretty obvious what was happening. Do you think it's warranted? The the suspension? Yeah. Two games? Two games, Maybe. But when you consider the fact that the Astros as a whole were found guilty of cheating, banging on trash cans to steal signs, I think that Jose Altuve was wearing a buzzer. Yes. under his jersey. Why would somebody squeeze their jersey and say, don't rip my jersey off when you hit a game-winning home run in the seventh game of the ALCS to send your team to the World Series and then run into the dugout to change your shirt? Because you were wearing a buzzer. I don't care what anybody says. Jose Altuve was wearing a buzzer so he would know. Because how does a dude who's five foot six on a good day turn around a 100-mile-an-hour fastball at the shoulders from the arguably the game's greatest closer in a role in a role as Chapman and hit it 420 feet? You know, I think I think the worst thing that baseball ever did was offer these players immunity for compliance. I think I think that's just incredibly stupid. You, of course, you you get the manager and the general manager for like, you just you can them but then the players who were major parts in this whole cheating scandal are left unscathed and i mean uh, of course nobody should take should take matters into their own, ha- own hands like like joe kelly did but uh and i mean for me joe kelly if he wanted to send a message you don't throw it near someone's head that's that's a that's just i don't i don't know if it was a control thing like you said but uh, I, th- I think it's it's always it's one of those unwritten rules in baseball where if you want to send a message, you always throw it from, like, chest down if mm-hmm. you want to send a message. But um, I think I still think eight games is, is far too many. It's, it's, it's way too much when you consider yeah. the big chunk of the season that it actually is. Yeah. You would never see somebody suspended for 22 games in a 162-game ga- season for throwing – not just – for just throwing at somebody, yeah. not hitting them. He didn't hit anybody. Yeah, but he but he, he he clearly threw at him. Yeah, um, and to me, it's you look at this this Astros cheating scandal on the whole, and the Astros they lost their first and second round picks in 2020 and 2021. Yeah. the team was fined five million dollars, which doesn't seem like a lot of money, but it is the most amount of money you're allowed to be fined by the rules by Major League Baseball. Uh, Jeff Lunau and uh, AJ Hinch yep. lost their jobs. The the general manager and the manager of the Houston Astros they lost their jobs. Carlos Beltran was the only player from that roster because he wasn't a player anymore who had who was impacted by this. He lost his job as a manager for the Mets. His first managing gig, he didn't even get to manage a game, not even a spring training game. He lo- he lost his job. Yeah. Then you look at um, Joey Cora in in uh, Alex Cora. Alex, excuse me, I always get the brothers mixed up. Alex Cora in Boston. They had their own little cheating scandal, and, and Alex Cora lost his job. Now, there is a lot of sentiment around the league that Alex Cora is going to find his way back to managing the Red Sox once his is. year suspension is up. Of course he is. But this had a ripple effect across all of Major League Baseball, but no player had to face a penalty at all. Now, it just came out in, the, in this past week that Rob Manfred now has the power to suspend players for stuff like this, but the Astros have complete immunity from this. And yet you're going to suspend Joe Kelly. Joe Kelly for not even hitting a guy, for throwing a ball behind the guy. For the threat of hitting somebody. Right, for the threat of hitting somebody. And, again, we all know there was intent there. Yeah. But are you basically just taking the inside corner away from everybody who's going to face the Astros? And maybe 
you'd feel a little bit a, a little bit worse for the Astros if the players had shown any kind of remorse. Yeah. If they had shown any kind of remorse. Alex Bregman looked like the biggest piece of garbage in the world. He sounded like a robot when spring training started reading off a piece of paper what his PR team told him to say of course about he this. He didn't care. He looked like he wanted to be anywhere else. Yeah. Anywhere. He just did not care. Of course he did. Of course there was no remorse. There was going to be no consequence for their actions. They, they, their, their manager and their GM took the fall for it, and the players get to act like nothing happened after that whole event subsided. Absolutely. The, and and you know, Al- Altuve and Springer and Correa. Correa, Correa t- for, to his credit, seemed remorseful. Yes. Correa seemed remorseful. He had a little bit of back and forth after that with some players. I can't remember the players he had a back and forth with on Twitter. Um, but in his initial statement, he seemed remorseful. And A.J. Hinch, the manager, I actually think that he should be given another shot to manage. When he did that special, it was either on – I think it was on MLB Network – when he did that special with Tom Verducci and he explained his side of things and how he didn't like it but he was a new manager and didn't want to ruffle any feathers and all that and how he would never let it happen now, he seemed genuinely remorseful to me. So I think that Hinch deserves another shot to manage. But these these, these other guys, you don't suspend a single player and Joe Kelly gets an eight-game suspension. This is months old. Yeah. Months old. It's just it's rehashing because of the whole Joe Kelly thing. Did you see the post on Instagram of him holding? I like th- to apologize his, for absolutely nothing. Yeah. But rumor is that wasn't him. Oh. Rumor is somebody else did that. But I mean, because then he's basically threatening to do it again in that right. post. So it, it probably wasn't him. But it's a it's it's a damn funny post. If you go to Joe to Joe Kelly on Instagram, he's sitting there holding his three kids, and he has Correa, Bregman, and Altuve's faces superimposed, photoshopped onto his kids' faces as if they're his children. It was it was pretty darn hysterical. Honestly, I mean, like if 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 it was, I was part of me was hoping it was. His account, just because it was so freaking funny. It was, but he is really putting himself behind the eight ball if it's actually him. Yeah. Because he said, I apologize for nothing. I, um, You think that this was bad. Just wait till I get back from my suspension. And there's no way it was him. There's just no way it was him. Hilarious nonetheless. Yeah. Now, we're going to be talking with Orioles broadcaster Jeff Arnold here in a few minutes. But before we get to that, Vasilios, there's been a lot of changes to Major League Baseball this year. Uh, extra innings starting with a runner on second base. We had the first leadoff home run in history. I think there was something like, I can't remember the exact number. It's like, we'll just say arbitrarily, 7,691 leadoff home runs in the history of baseball for 72,691 RBIs. Then the next home run was a two-run homer. So 72,692 Lead-off home runs for 72,693 RBIs. It was the first lead-off home run that gave a guy multiple RBIs and ended up winning the game for the Dodgers the other night. You have that. You have pitchers having to stay in a game for a minimum of three batters. You have, you're have you now going to have seven-inning doubleheaders. No DH in the National I mean, ADH in the National League anymore. No more pitchers hitting. And I think that that's something that's going to stick uh, forever from here on out. I'm a baseball purist, okay? I'm kind of like – I'm like the like John Smoltz where, like, I don't sabermetricians and all that. I, I want you to pass the eye test, and I'm, I'm, I'm an old fuddy-duddy when it comes to stuff like that. Um, apparently, I'm also from the 50s saying old fuddy-duddy. But <laughs> uh, 
I don't like the runner on second base. It's working. It's ending games a lot more quickly. Um, but I don't like the runner on second base. I don't like the idea of seven inning doubleheaders, though I understand it. How do you feel about some of these changes that are coming forth in baseball? I, I, in my opinion, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I think uh, I think for, for the regular season, I think it's fine. Uh, I'm not going to say I completely endorse it, but I understand why it's happening. Um, the... I think it adds a certain another layer of strategy to the game for managers. Like, hey, what pitcher am I going to use here? Is my guy going to be able to handle this? Is uh, do do we have and do we have what it takes to to get out of this inning with the guy starting in scoring position? So, I mean, it's it be- definitely makes for more exciting baseball if the game is closer. Uh, which obviously it, it is if you're going to extra innings. So <laughs> I don't know why that sounded redundant right there, but. Uh, I mean, I, I, I like it, and I, like I said, for the regular season, for, for the postseason, let, let's, let's not let it happen because we love when, when postseason games go into extras and we get to see the absolute bottom of the barrel when it comes to, to strategizing. Like, I remember um, wa- watching a – or co- going into what is now my former internship at WBAL, the Dodgers – taking on the the Red Sox in the in the World Series and Clayton Kershaw was getting the start or not not Clayton Kershaw sorry but uh, and then I ended up getting home at midnight falling asleep waking up at two in the morning and Clayton Kershaw was at bat mm-hmm. and I was like I was like I love this this is what, this is baseball right here so I mean as long as long as it's just the regular season to get games done sooner because you have a larger slate of games during the regular season and I understand the need to get them done faster when it comes to the 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 back-to-back seven seven inning doubleheaders it's I mean sure uh, but like what you said earlier if the baseball gods want nine innings they're gonna get nine innings so uh, I don't. I don't see what taking away four innings is going to necessarily do because. I mean. Well, it's 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 going to speed up the games, and and ultimately, why they're doing this, one first and foremost, they want people at the ballpark for as little amount of time as possible, right? It, dur- during during this pandemic, this isn't something that's going to be uh, in place once we get back to a regular baseball right. schedule, hopefully next spring. So, so I understand that. And I also and two, I also understand that there's a lot of teams that aren't playing right now. Right now you have the Cardinals, the Brewers, the Blue Jays, Nationals, Phillies, Marlins, Orioles, and Yankees. That's eight teams out of 30 that are missing time. They're missing games because of COVID uh, in one way or another. And you can blame who you want, the Marlins. Um, <laughs> but... They're missing time because of COVID, and this is how you get these these teams to a not sacrifice a ton of pitching, and b get all of these games in and get as close to sixty games as they possibly can. Now, Rob Manfred came out and he said the goal was sixty games, but we're not married to it. If a team plays fifty six, fifty seven, fifty eight games, and playoffs come in, come into question here, then you'll go by winning percentage, which is. Fine. Me personally, I think that the Marlins, however many games they miss, they shouldn't be able to make them up. They shouldn't be able to make them up because they knowingly sent players, uh, sent their team out on the field after four players tested positive for COVID. Yep. You fast forward, uh, you know, five six days, and you have eighteen to twenty guys in that organization that now have COVID nineteen that now tested positive. It's it's it was irresponsible. It is 
unacceptable, and it's inexplicable, just to use some extra adjectives. <laughs> but the, the Marlins, they, what they did, it's up there among some of the worst things that, that anybody could do in professional sports. So I, I, I think that they should have some kind of punishment for that. But uh, Vasilius, is there anything that you would like to add while I get Jeff Arnold on the line? Well, I mean, I think I think you're right. I think there should be some form of penalty for for the the Miami Marlins, and I mean, <laughs> I don't know how much more of a penalty you can get after uh, the last few years trading away Marcel Ozuna, Giancarlo Stanton, and Christian Yelich. I mean, that was a pretty good core of players. I mean, that's just that's a franchise that that even with Derek Jeter in the driver's seat might uh, not ever become like really a power in the National League and. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm not I won't be surprised if they eventually make it, but I mean, as of right now for the 60 game season, I don't think. I, I mean, I, th- I definitely think there should be a penalty. I think you you're absolutely right. They shouldn't they shouldn't take they shouldn't be able to make up the games that they they essentially pissed away because they uh, they were just too dumb to make the decision to not play. I mean, I'm just I I, I don't I don't know. I don't know how how anybody can just look at this and be like, oh no, they're fine, but they they definitely there definitely should be some punishment there. Absolutely, and with that in mind, we now have Jeff Arnold on the line, broadcaster for the Baltimore Orioles. Jeff, how are you today? Hey, man? Jeff. Hey, what's going on, guys? Hope we're all doing well. Yeah, Vasilius and I are doing very well, are, are doing fairly well here. We are actually just talking about some some teams that aren't doing well. There's eight teams right now that are impacted by this whole COVID nineteen thing. It is a direct result, or maybe indirect result, of the my the Miami Marlins. Jeff, what we were just discussing is that I don't feel like the Marlins should have to, should be able to make up these games that they've missed because they knowingly went on the field with four players having tested positive. Do you think there should be some kind of punishment handed down to the Miami Marlins for knowingly sending their team out on the field when guys have tested positive? I don't know if I would go that far. I mean, I think the challenge that you deal with is that you have rules in place, but you had a sense, I think, as well, that something like this was going to happen. It's very unfortunate that it occurred after the first weekend of the season. But it's really hard to, to legislate it or to, to put something. I mean, Rob Manfred came out with a statement yesterday telling Tony Clark, hey, everyone needs to be a little bit more cautious because you had the Brewers and Cardinals that they didn't play yesterday. So uh, he sent the message that everyone needs to continue to follow the protocols and um, I don't really know what happened when uh, when they went to Atlanta. The Marlins did. I mean, I, I've, I've read some of the reports, but but I'm not with the team, and I wasn't there, so I don't really know. But uh, it's it's obvious that um, you have to be very, very, very careful. I mean, you can do everything right, and there's still a chance that you could get this thing. So it's critical that we we wash our hands, that we stay at home, that we wear masks when we're out in public, that we're practicing social distancing, and that we're all continuing to follow the rules, and you, you can't afford to get too lax. And I think it's easy to do that once you realize, oh, like, I'm, I've been okay, you know, everything is fine. Um, but the Marlins situation was a wake-up call to everybody, and like you said, uh, it's impacted a lot of teams, including the Orioles. Absolutely, and I appreciate you coming on and saying wash your hands, wear a mask, do your part, because that's that's absolutely important. I, I am engaged to a woman who's a respiratory therapist, and when she sees people not wearing their masks, it drives her up the wall because it's just it's such a simple thing that we can all do to stop the spread of this virus. 
And I mean, what I do is, uh, I'll be honest, like, um, and this is, you know, it, it's unlike any year that I could have anticipated, but for safety reasons, I pretty much, I go to my apartment, and I go to Camden Yards, and this morning I went to the grocery store, and that's about it. Like, I, I don't really go anyplace else. I would like to visit. I would like to do some, some normal, everyday things that a lot of us would, would appreciate doing, but just for safety reasons, I mean, it, it's really important because, not only if not only is the chance that if, if you get infected, I mean you have the chance you give it to somebody else, and that that would be terrible. So um, just just out of uh, an abundance of caution, I pretty much go to, to two or or three places, and that's about it. Um, but yeah, if, if I'm even outside and there's a crowd near me or there's a people bunched up, I've got my mask in my pocket and I put it on. Oh. It's just a it's just a safety thing. Um, I have a parent who ha- I have uh, my mom has a has an autoimmune disease, and so I'm, I'm especially cautious, and um, I spent a lot of time at home with my parents um, before I came back to Baltimore, and I really left the house, and a lot of it was just out of concern um, that, that this is a very scary thing, and uh, you, you don't want to give it to anybody, and you especially don't want to give it to somebody who has a respiratory condition or, or anything like that, and so for that reason, it's, we're all responsible for, for being safe and, and following the, the CDC guidelines. Well, and and to that ilk, you uh, this is your first year broadcasting for the Orioles. You spent what the last five years broadcasting for the Frederick Keys. You get your big league shot, and it happens to be the first year of COVID nineteen as well. So I'm sure that this hasn't been what you expected it to be. First off, what was your overall feeling finally getting the call to the big league club to be a broadcaster for the Orioles and? How has it been for you, given the circumstances? Well, it was a dream come true when I got that call. Um, they, they'd reached out to me at the very end of the fall and, and said, "Hey, you know, send us a bunch of stuff." And you know, I was I was hopeful, but um, when, when it comes to an opportunity with a major league team, you just you, you got to keep your you know your your hopes in check as well. And so I was I was certainly hoping that things were going to work out. And then we got into January, and they decided to bring me on board, and I was thrilled. This is a team that I've worked with for, for a long time. I've been a part of the organization for a while. number of players on this team and guys who are knocking on the door right now are, are folks that I, that I saw in the minor leagues. I remember Trey Mancini my first year in the Orioles organization and how he came up right after the All-Star break and hit a massive home run the first time he was up against the Carolina Mudcats. And now to see what he's done, uh, not only in the major leagues, but for the city of Baltimore and the great message that he spread as he uh, goes through his, um, his fight right now, um, that was the same Trey Mancini that I saw when I was when I was in the minors. Uh, he was a really impressive guy then. Um, but but to answer the, the second part of your question, you know, I, I think the broadcasters were it's a, it's a, it's an adjustment for all of us. Um, but compared to like what the training staff has to do, um, Brian Ebel's done a fantastic job, and the rest of his staff, and then Marty Brinker, who is actually our Keys trainer last year, and some of the other trainers who are there conducting the intake testing every day. We get tested usually once a week, and um, all the things that they have to take care of, our PR staff trying to handle all these different um, requests and juggle a lot of different things that don't work the way that they normally do. This is something that's affected everybody, and uh, while it is certainly uh, abnormal, um, a lot of things are, are different and don't work the way that they typically do. Um, you know, as, a, as somebody that uh, that does Major League Baseball and, and for, for all the guys and, and girls that, that do baseball 
uh, the major league level, we all know we have to adjust, and uh, and that's part of the reason that that we're here is that we are able to adjust um, when when things get a little bit weird, and um, you know it's it's been fun. I mean, it was it was a great win last night over the Rays. I thought that was encouraging to see. I liked how Cole Solcher bounced back. Alberto has been great. Uh, Santander had a had a big game after he was quiet in the Yankees series. So. Um, you know, a lot of good stuff right now, and and while it might be a little bit weird, um, it it beats um, it beats being in the spot where unfortunately a lot of Americans are right now, where they're furloughed or unemployed. Um, but I, I get to go to the ballpark every day and do big league baseball, so uh, not a whole lot to complain about when it comes to that. Jeff, you mentioned that it's a, a dream come true for you, and uh, I want like I know there are, it's a whole new batch of, of faces with the Orioles broadcasting team. What's it like working with with all those new folks, and do you guys think you can do something special? Yeah, I think so. I've worked with, I I had Dave Johnson the other night with me, and that was, I think, seven people that I've worked with this year. So uh, they rotate a lot of different people in, and it's kind of cool because you get different perspectives on different things. Um, I had a blast working with Kevin Brown last week. Uh, we enjoyed each other's company. We had some fun, and we we talked some, some baseball, and we got to do a lot of different things on our broadcast with against the against the Red Sox. And I thought we had a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed how how that worked. And uh, Brett Hollander is somebody that I've known since college. Um, Melanie and I uh, worked in the same league together last year, so we're friends. And then um, getting to work with some of these analysts. I mean, I've known Mike Bordick the last couple of years, and he was fun to work with in spring training. I uh, had an opportunity to work with, with DJ the other night and uh, great, great getting his perspective, especially on the pitching side. Um, and then uh, Brian Roberts, member of the uh, Orioles Hall of Fame, like like Bordy, and uh, picking his brain, and, and he's extremely knowledgeable, works really hard at, at what he does, and, and says uh, a lot of really interesting stuff that, that makes you think about the game and, and maybe how, you, how you're how you going into it a little bit differently. So. Um, there's a there's a ton of stuff to like, and then Ben McDonald as well, who I I did my first big league game with. That was he's as good of a partner as you're going to have if you're if you're doing your first major league game. Um, but yeah, getting to work with all those different folks, they all bring something to the table. It's a lot of fun. Um, we've got a, a nice group, and uh, we all are we all get along really well. I mean, we're on zooms together all the time. Like we had a, a big one yesterday with some of the Rays broadcasters, and um, so yeah, it's it's a fun group, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what we can all do together. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned earlier that you got to see Trey Mancini in his first at-bat hit a home run uh, with, with the Frederick Keys. And, uh, you've seen a lot of these players come up through the organization in your time at Frederick. What players stuck out to you? And are the ones that are on the Major League roster, are they meeting your expectations? Are they exceeding them? Or are they falling a little bit short of what you expected to see? Uh, Austin Hayes, I saw in the, in the minors and there's some players that when you see them for like the first time or maybe you just watch them hit batting practice, you can tell that they're going to be a big leaguer, and Hayes was in that category. Um, he's a great outfielder, makes hard contact, a lot more disciplined now than he was then, and I think that's something he continues to work on. I, I like the quality of at-bats that he's put together. He's just had a little bit of bad luck. I mean, he call, got called out on strikes two nights ago on a couple pitches that weren't strikes, including one to end the game. Right. Uh, but I think he's in a really good spot, and I think he could be in the in the outfield for a while to come. Ryan Mountcastle, I would imagine we'll see him at some point, and I loved what I saw from him when I, he was in Frederick. He can hit for power. He can hit for average. 
Um, Outfield-wise, he looked pretty good in spring training, and I know that's something that he's really worked on, and uh, playing left field is new to him, and they're giving him a lot of reps out there. So, so I've been pleased with that. And then Tanner Scott, too, uh, just the way he's been able to um, perform last night. He got himself into a little trouble, uh, got out of it, and uh, really bounced back pretty nicely. So um, there, there, there's, a, there's a number of positives I think we're seeing from some of the players that, that I remember from their, their time in the minors. And uh, it, it's kind of strange to, to say that um, you know, you've seen some of these players when they were coming up and learning how to pitch and in their development process and, and trying to perform and reach the major leagues. And, um, you know, it, it's funny, some of the worst outings that I, I saw when I was in the minors were by people who went on to pitch in the major leagues. Um, Aaron Brooks, who was with the Orioles uh, not long ago, um, I remember when I saw him pitch in the Royals minor league system, and the first start he ever had was maybe one of the most disastrous outings I'd ever seen in a game. It was it was just awful. And then he bounced back from there, went on to put together a great uh, rest of the season, and got to the big leagues pretty quickly. And then Jimmy Yacobon is another one. He reached the Orioles after he grinded it out for a while, and he was in a spot where he was back in his third year in Frederick, and I just think he'd gotten to the point where he's like, am I ever going to get out of here? And not only did he get out of there, but he put together a great rest of the season when he went to double-A, and then he got a chance in the big league. So it just goes to show that, um, and, and I say this to a lot of the fan bases, they maybe check their minor league box scores nightly, at least when the minor league seasons are going, or they might be following along in the AFL. Um, if a player isn't doing as well as anticipated, like if Grayson Rodriguez were to go to the Carolina League and get off to a slower start, or maybe D.L. Hall went to double-A and had some issues with command or Rutschman or any of these guys, and they, they don't produce, like, they're not a bust. Like, this is part of the development process, and part of development means failure, and failure is something you're going to encounter a lot when you get to the major leagues. So it's best you probably know how to deal with it when you're in the minors, so that when you reach the big leagues, you can bounce back more quickly, and then you can go out the next day and make up for it. So, uh, But there's there's a lot of good stuff coming up through the Orioles minor league system. Um, I think it's only going to get better, especially, especially as the Orioles uh, continue to be more involved in the international landscape. And uh, just, uh, I think, a lot of good things on the horizon for this organization. We are coming to you from the live Casino Hotel studio with the bat around. I'm Paul Valley with Vasilius Nikolaou. We have Orioles broadcaster Jeff Arnold on the line. Jeff, you just talked about these players coming up through the minor league system, and I agree that there's a lot to be excited about with the Orioles farm system. And you talked a little bit about Tanner Scott. And Tanner Scott came into the game last night, uh, only had to get two outs through about 18 pitches to get those two outs. It was pretty wild, but managed to get a couple of strikeouts and get out of the inning. Uh I think that this guy has future big league closer stuff. He's got a, a dynamic fastball. He's got a you know low to mid nineties slider that's just devastating. But his biggest issue has been throwing strikes, more so at the major league level than at the minor league level. Do you think this is a matter of him just not trusting his stuff at the big league level, or more disciplined hitters, or a combination of both? I think it's more mental. I don't think it's really mechanical. But you got to remember, like. You talked about last night. You're facing the Tampa Bay Rays, and this is a team that leads the major leagues in walks. They don't have a whole lot of hits, um, but when they get their hits, they've often been extra base hits, and they usually come after walks. You know, we saw a ton of plate appearances last night that uh, were eight, nine, ten pitches. It was probably the reason we argued the game went three hours and 36 minutes. Um, but that's what you're going to encounter at the big league level. 
the strike zone is smaller, and the hitters are more disciplined, and they won't chase. And so you've got to attack the zone and make quality pitches inside the strike zone. Or their hitters are going to just spit at it and just be like, all right, give me something else. And then once they get what they're looking for, then they'll try and put it in play. Um, but, no, I, I think he trusts his stuff. I think it's there. I think just some of it is, is, is kind of mental. But um, it's been encouraging to see how he's, he's done against uh, the Rays, who have some guys who can hit for some power, and uh, as well against the Red Sox. I mean, they may not have Mookie Betts, but that's still one of the more dangerous offenses in the game. I tend to, to agree with you there, and I do have a lot of high hopes for Tanner Scott. Another guy, and I don't know how much you've seen of him, is Evan Phillips. And that's that's another guy who, at the minor league level, didn't really have issues throwing strikes, but then he comes up to the big leagues and can't seem to get the ball over the plate. He walked a couple of guys in his outing the other day, and it led to two runs scoring in, in his inning. He has big league stuff. He's just got to put the ball over the plate. What are your expectations for a guy like Evan Phillips? Yeah, it's a little tougher with Phillips because I've I've watched Scott come up to the Myers Phillips. I, I haven't known all that long. I mean, he came over in that Gosman and O'Day deal. The, what I noticed from him the other night was like number one, the walks. Like you, you cannot walk major league hitters consistently and expect to get out of it, especially when you're facing a team like the Yankees or the Red Sox. They're right. going to make you pay, um, but. Yeah, it's just it's attacking the zone and it's and it's making sure you're hitting your spots. I mean, he got a couple strikeouts, but he got those few strikeouts when he missed his spots with breaking balls. I mean, he was fortunate he got Gardner to swing over one of them, and then he got away with a, another one. So, uh, just making sure he hits his locations and executes because the stuff is there. I mean, he he has big league caliber stuff, um, but. You know, this is also another thing to remember too. Uh, he hasn't gotten a whole lot of appearances in games. I mean, he. He, I think, appeared in only one spring training game, and then he got shut down. And so uh, so he's, I think, trying to play catch-up a little bit. But um, as, as long as he can execute and hit his spots and get ahead of hitters, that's going to be the key to his success, and that's going to be the key to success for everyone in the Orioles' bullpen. Uh, you can't start off the inning by walking, guys. Um, we saw that what happens when that occurred two nights ago. It happened a few times last night. didn't necessarily hurt the Orioles, but... Um, if you're putting yourself behind against major league hitters, um, the, 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 you're rolling the dice, and you're rolling the dice probably even more so this year, uh, considering that you're facing only the AL East and the NL East. Yeah, and especially when you have the propensity for giving up the long ball like the Orioles bullpen did last year, giving up over 300 home runs. Um, I do have one last baseball question to ask you before we talk about one other thing. Um, we know that Mount, Ryan Mountcastle is probably on his way sooner rather than later. Uh, but the Orioles, their their rotation is already in flux. Tommy Malone wasn't great on opening day. Cole Stewart is opting out of the season, at least for the time being, as he said yesterday. Uh, do you think that we're going to see guys like Keegan Aiken, Bruce Zimmerman, Dean Kramer uh, come up and pitch at the big league level this year? I would imagine so. You just want to see what you have in them as you do a rebuild. Uh, you need to take stock of everything that's available in your system, and that would mean uh, checking out some pitchers who are at the very top of your, your Meyer League food chain and uh, and throwing them out there and seeing how they do. Uh, when I saw Aiken, it, it seemed like 
one outing he had his breaking ball look really good, and then the next outing his changeup was looking really good, but then he was missing the other pitch. Uh, his command's got to be a little bit better, especially because when you're in the, the big leagues, you, you can't walk a whole lot of hitters because they just they won't chase. Um, so that, that'll that be a focus for him. And then we were talking to Gary Kendall, who was at the alternate site the other day, about, about Dean Kramer, and he really likes what he sees. He thinks that Kramer's slider has um, improved and become sharper, and that should um, supplement... Um, a fastball with with high spin and a slot and a curveball that that I think is uh, probably one of the better ones that I've seen by an Orioles pitcher um, since I've started in their system. Well, and I saw I was I remember watching Bruce Zimmerman back during spring training games uh, specifically, and he has a big league curveball. That's at least it looks like it to me. Now, of course, I'm no scout, but it seemed like he held his own against the against big league competition and when spring training got shut down he was still on he was still at big league camp on the big league roster is that somebody that you have a lot of high hopes for or was i just being fooled by what i was seeing no i saw what you saw too i mean the the stuff looked really good and i know that he put a lot of work in in the off season and he spent a lot of time getting his body in great shape and uh, we saw what happened with John Means, um, somebody that, that comes up to the minor league system, improves their stuff, and uh, puts the work in and, and goes to the training that they need to to uh, be a better pitcher at the at the major league level. And Zimmerman gave you a lot of stuff to think about uh, based on how he pitched in the Grapefruit League. Absolutely, I agree 100%. Now, Jeff, before we let you go, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you to say a few words about Mo Gabba, the Orioles and Ravens superfan who tragically passed away from cancer uh, this past Tuesday night. Really just been a bright spot for the city of Baltimore for the last several years. What can you say about Mo? Well, it was it was hard to try and put it into words the other night. Um, I'll say that the video that the Orioles played before the game gave me chills. Um, where where mm-hmm. Mo was the 10th fan and got inducted into the Orioles Hall of Fame like he, he should be um, with some of the, the all-time greats like Wild Bill Hagee. But, yeah, it, it, I'll, I'll say this. Um, I listened to pretty much the entire Big Mo show, and my hope was that they were going to do another one. And I texted Jeremy Kahn after it was over that um, – that's some of the most meaningful radio that I've ever listened to. Um, I don't know what kind of award that that should be nominated for, but um, that was just, that's the kind of connection that you you know that somebody who just has a unique ability to connect with people has, and that's what Mo was all about. Um, I never got to meet Mo. It's probably one of, uh, it's, it's a regret for sure. I, I wish I'd had the opportunity to um, before all of this stuff hit, um, but the way that he inspired the Orioles, the Ravens, the city of Baltimore, gave you hope, the way he approached adversity with a smile, uh, the way that um, he, he just had a presence that, that kind of everyone could rally around. Um, and the fact that, you know, at the very end, you know, he, he, he wanted to hang on just so he wouldn't let anybody down. I mean, this is a 14-year-old kid, and that's his approach to, to how he's handling this. I mean, that just that's why Mo was as special as he was. And um, you know, I really feel for, for Mo, for his family, for his mom, um, for Jeremy as well, who's who really seems like he's he's part of that family. And um and yeah, but um I, I think my biggest recollection of Mo will be from the Big Mo show and the way he connected with literally everybody and how people called in and how uh, I listened and I felt something that I I'm not an overly emotional person but you know, the feeling I got from listening to that show was not one that I get from, from a lot of stuff. So that was really unusual. 
It was a really special night, and uh, he was a really special guy that um, I think is forever going to be, uh, you know, part of the city of Baltimore. You know, when when you think about the city of Baltimore, you're going to be thinking about Mo Gabba because he represents uh, not only what the city is about, um, but how to handle adversity and how to do so with a smile. And the grace that he showed and the humility that he showed as he went through the battle was um, just something that you know I, I don't I don't I don't know that how you could match that um, by anybody. I mean, Mo was just uh, unbelievable. Well, really, really inspiring words that you just said there about Mo, Jeff. We really appreciate it. And you know, we really thank you for coming on the show, saying those kind of things, talking to us about some Orioles baseball. We look talk, look forward to talking to you in the future. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jeff. You, you got it, guys. Be safe. All right, man. Have a good day. Great stuff. Yeah, that was, that was Jeff Arnold, Orioles broadcaster. Um, really good guy. I've, I've reached out to him about coming on the show the other day, and he was really gracious about it. And, you know, when I, when I got him on the phone, he was very personable before he came on the air, and nothing changed with his time on the air. Just really glad to talk to Jeff. And what he just said about Mo hit the nail on the head. And it's, it's Baltimore got a little bit darker uh, on, on Tuesday night. But Mo has that, that, that ability to shine light through the darkness. And I think that we're going to use Mo for inspiration and to remember love first and foremost in this city for many, many years to come. He left a lasting impression well on, on this city. Well a said, lasting sir. impression. So we're going to get one more break. Then we're going to come back and we're going to play Take, Take to, rake. to Rake. Until then. Just wait. Stay tuned. (laughs) Baltimore's favorite bar, Sliders Bar and Grill, is now open. Just across the street from Camden Yards, Sliders is open, and they've added new menu items, new frozen cocktails, and new 32-ounce beers. If you're not ready to go out just yet, you can still order from Sliders' carryout menu, and they still have liter bottles of hand sanitizer available for just $15. Call 443-835-0906 or 410-547-8891 or visit slidersbaltimore.com. We'll see you this summer at Sliders. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. Appreciate so. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on. Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate y'all. How y'all doing? Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. How you guys doing? Heston Kerstad. Thanks for having me. Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. Dickie V, Dick Vitale. Lynn and Kyle, two diaper dandy. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Ed? Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major bodywork. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com. Ahoy, mateys. It's Royal Farms. Chicken Palooza 3. 
bounty of Royal Farms Chicken Delights. Chicken Delights, Chicken Delights. Get a two-piece chicken box with a portion of each sale benefiting the Johns Hopkins Children's Center or the all-new, hand-breaded, crispy on the outside, tender on the inside, world-famous chicken sandwich, the Royal for just five bucks. Just five bucks. Quiet birdie. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. Glory Days Grill's summer seasonal menu is now available for dine-in, dine-out on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new knockout shrimp or the delicious lobster roll with grilled corn made with real Maine lobster. They're open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and stay positive during this challenging time in our community. Welcome back to the Battle Round with Paul Valley and my co-host Vasilios Nicolau. And before we get into Take to Rake, I want to do Glenn Clark a little bit of justice here. Glenn had me on this show, uh, producing the show yesterday while Kyle was Kyle Alheimer was either out of town or had something else going on. I didn't ask, but I did the show and I was happy to do it. Glenn's been really gracious to me, so why don't I give Glenn a plug here? Every Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer bring their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via Pressbox's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash Pressbox Sports. Listen at PressboxOnline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guy celebrated the life of Mo Gabba with Buck Showalter, Jeremy Kahn, Scott Garceau, Bradley Bozeman, and many more who knew Mo best. Those are some names. I got to talk with Buck yesterday about Mo, and uh, Buck's he's, he's one of a kind. Love Buck. Find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review at PressBoxOnline.com. That's PressBoxOnline.com. Glenn Clark. One of the better guys I know. It really helped me a lot in my career, so I'm happy to give him a plug any chance I can. With that being said, it is time for our weekly segment to close the show, and we are calling this Take to Rake. Last week, mm-hmm. last week, we let Vasilios pick first, and he took Pedro Severino. I took Chris Davis. They both did nothing in that game that Saturday, and... We decided, and Vasilios brought this idea to my attention today, that maybe we should, since we do a weekly show, maybe we should just do take to rake and pick one player for the entire week. With that in mind, I'm going to give Vasilios the point for last week because Chris Davis has one double uh, on, on his resume for this season. Pedro Severino had a big double against the Yankees the other night, ended up scoring on a, on a home run by Rio Ruiz. He homered against the Yankees. It should have been the game-winning home run on Thursday night. He had a big homer in the back end of back-to-back home runs with Santander last night. So we're going to give Vasilios the point. He is up one to nothing, And in fact, new rule, flying by the seat of our pants here. Vasilios, since you won last week, I'm going to give you the first pick again today. I can see the pain in your eyes right now. Yeah, it, it, it hurts, man. <laughs> it hurts. I don't like losing. Ask my fiance. I don't like losing. <laughs> yeah, how's your fantasy team doing, by the way? Shut the hell up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to go with Rio Ruiz. Oh, that is such an easy pick. Leading the team in home runs. You know what? Fine. You take Rio Ruiz <laughs> and his three home runs. Right. I'm taking Austin Hayes. I'm taking Austin Hayes to he's my take to rake for the, the the next week because he hasn't been hitting. And he's better than what he's Good shown. Pick. He's he's been victimized by some really bad strike three calls three 
come to mind just from that Yankees series. Been victimized by that. Um, in that Boston series, he got robbed of a couple of hits by Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, so I think that he's about to break out in a big way. I'm taking Austin Hayes. Hey, I think I think it's okay if I take a safety blanket pick this week after I went on a limb and took Sevy last week. I don't think Severino's out on a limb either. He had a big summer camp. He had he showed some pop at the bat last year, and uh, Severino was a solid pick. Rio Ruiz is a solid pick. I, I, I like the Austin the, Hayes pick. The, let's just, let's take the guy leading the team in home <laughs> runs. Okay, all right. Hey, I, but no, honestly, Hayes was my second choice. I was going to be like, well, you know, he had that over five last night. I bet he bounces back at some point this week. Oh yeah, he's he's definitely going. He's too good of a player not to. Too good of a player not to. And you know, I thought about taking Ryan Mountcastle because I think he's coming up this week. But I'm going to save that for another time. I probably just gave you an idea for next week. Great. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Battle Round with Paul Valley and Vasilios Nicolau. Thank you to Glenn Clark Radio for having me on the show yesterday. Uh, thanks to Stan, Stan the Fan, Charles, John Mioli, and Jeff Arnold for coming on, on the show, uh, especially in helping us remember and pay tribute to the great and incomparable Mo Gabba. Guys, thanks for tuning in. We love you. We'll be back next Saturday. Until then, we'll see you later. See you.